The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, so that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might come to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among those others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over all the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. And Genesis 45, verses 1 through 9 as well. And Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. So the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, who sold you into Egypt, who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and yet there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on the earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord over all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, and do not tarry. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, just thank you for your plan and how you work all things together for good. Um, God, we just uh, ask that you will speak to us uh, this morning uh, by your Holy Spirit. Um, and God, just empower uh, your word to touch our hearts and open our eyes and for us to be receptive to whatever it is you want us to hear from you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Wow, what a text this morning. Um, so if I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City Church. And like uh, Pastor Scott talked about and we've been talking about through this time is we're in this, this thing right now, uh, this vision, right, of, of being together for our city. And, and I really want to ca- recast that vision of, of what, what does that look like? Does that mean we just have more people coming together and, and we're just gathering on a Sunday morning? Uh, no, that's, that's not what the church is. But really the vision of of God's church is a a people that are gathering together to go out and be a light to our community and to people around us to share the goodness of Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about being together for our city. This isn't about like one way a church is better than doing another way of church, right? This is about, no, this is God's church coming together for the glory of God going out to share the goodness of God with other people. And I'm telling you right now, we're coming upon a season where our people in this community, we need this. We need the gospel, right? There are people struggling with loneliness, depression, uh, just exactly what we're talking about here, broken families. 
um, but people needing the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited to be here this morning to be able to share this with you. Uh, we're all coming around God's word in the book of Genesis, right? And so um, we're in this series right now called The Gospel in Genesis. And, and really the, the heart of the book of Genesis and, and really all throughout scripture is this, that um, God is the hero of every story. God is with his people even when it feels like he's not there. And so we've been looking at the, the life of Joseph and, and how in a very tangible way, God is there even when it feels like he's silent. When he's not there, God is working in powerful ways. And so we see that come out of the life of Joseph. And we're in this text today. We're, we're, we're almost there to the end of his life. Uh, but we're in Genesis 42, 1 through 9, and we're looking at 45, 1 through 9. But this is a lot bigger narrative. Um, and this is a historical narrative, right? This isn't just a story that we get to read about, say, oh, that's really nice. But no, this is history. This happened. These are real people, real times, real places. And we get to read about that today. And here's what the message is. If we were to wrap this all up, it's when God heals relationships. When God heals relationships. So over a span of six weeks, we've been, you know, working through the life of Joseph. And what we'll see is that Joseph's life is filled with many examples of God's faithfulness despite Joseph's own sin because Joseph is not a perfect man. He's a sinful man, but God loves him and gives him grace just like you and me. So he's, he's not like some superhuman person. But we also see this with his family, right? So God meets his family even in the midst of sin, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of challenges, silence, disappointments. What we see is that God is there in those times of silence. And that doesn't mean even though he's silent, he's not active. So we're going to see this all throughout the story. God is the hero. And so the first week we talked about God's dream for Joseph. Right, many ways we think that it's about our dreams for our own lives, but it's not. It's about what is God's dream? What does God want for me? And so really what is God's dream for Joseph? But then how it kind of turned into something that he wasn't expecting. He was betrayed by his brothers. Then as Joseph is sold into slavery, he goes to Egypt, it's how God works through Joseph in the midst of his trials and, and, and Joseph trusts God in his temptation, right? Potiphar's wife, do you remember that story? Pastor Scott preached on that a few weeks ago. And he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife, wrongfully imprisoned. And then over the past two weeks, we've talked about Joseph being in prison, but then how God uses him to interpret dreams. And eventually, Joseph gets placed into the second in command over all of Egypt after spending years in prison. And so again, our text is from Genesis 42 and 45, but, but today's narrative is very lengthy, okay? It's, it's 42 through 45. There's a lot there. That's why we had to shorten it. We'd still be here reading it right now. But I encourage you to go back and read the whole story. Read the whole story because it is one of the highlights in the Bible. I love reading this story of Joseph and, and really what God does here. But, but here's what's happening. Here's what happens in between 42 and 45. There's a famine that comes on the land. Uh, Joseph's brothers get sent into Egypt seeking food by their father, Jacob. 
uh, Joseph is now in charge. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. It's been about 20 years since they'd seen him, so it makes sense that they wouldn't have recognized him. He's in a different culture. And so Joseph puts his brothers through a series of questions and tests which God will use to heal his family. And so the key to Joseph's life is this. In the waiting, God is working. Remember, God not only wanted to accomplish a dream through Joseph and his family, but he wanted to do a work inside of Joseph and his family. And so this is the climax of the story. So the question is, how does God heal Joseph's relationship with his brothers and ultimately with his family? Well, God does this in three ways. He does this by bringing Joseph face-to-face with his past, with his pain, with his purpose. So we're going to see it through the text today, but to break it down, his past, his pain, and his purpose. So the first one is his past. Look at verses uh, 42, 1 through 8. It says, when Joseph or Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. We should laugh at that because it's... It's, it's a very interesting interaction there. And, you know, even, even the way that um, Ethan read it there, it's like, it sounds like, okay, yeah, go down. But you got to think about the tone in which the father is saying this. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among uh, the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him and their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So what's happening? Well, there's there's two parts to Joseph's past that are revealed in this text. Uh, The first part to his past is that there is continued family dysfunction. Continued family dysfunction. Do you remember when we talked about this earlier in the life of Jacob? And really, if you follow it through back to Father Isaac and, and all these things, all throughout this time, there has been family dysfunction. And we see that it's still continuing to this day. Ian DeGid says this, In the 20 years after the brothers sold Joseph, things did not get any better at home. Genesis 42 opens with Jacob barking at his sons. The men who were so ingenious in ridding themselves of their despised younger brother had no plan to save their families from slowly wasting away from famine. For his part, Jacob was still playing favorites, keeping Joseph's only full brother, Benjamin, back while the others went to Egypt. Jacob's family was overflowing with broken relationships. With broken relationships. You see, after 20 years, things 
still have not gotten better at home. It's the same old relationships like before. The past hurts are still present. There's favoritism. There's, there's distance. There's apathy. There's distrust. Nothing has gotten better over time. And statistics and research tell us that more than half of American, the, uh, the American population today struggle with the same thing. Dysfunctional, broken families. Pew Research reported in 2015 that only 46% of people come from what is deemed a traditional family. And that's not the case with Joseph. That wasn't a traditional family. American psychologist Terence Gorski estimates as high as 70 to 80% of people come from dysfunctional families. Many of us today understand the dynamics of broken families. See, and this is being brought to the surface again in Joseph's life. In this case, time did not heal all wounds. But what we know is that God does heal our wounds, right? In many ways, we try to make it ourselves that tries to fix relationships. But it's the same reason why some of us right now are even dreading Thanksgiving Right? We're, dressing, we're just dreading those family discussions and those meals around the table. We're not sure what to expect. Right? This is a reality that we still live with today, and that is real in this story. Right? So there is dysfunctional family dynamics. But secondly, we see the past wounds Joseph still carries. Look at verse 7. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? Here's the question that I'd like for us to wrestle with. What would you do if you were placed in a position of power over people that hurt you in the past and they didn't recognize you? They, They didn't know it was you, but now you are in a position to make life hard for them see this is what's happening to joseph and we can start to see those internal wounds that joseph still carries after all these years and how he responds in verse 7 it says he he recognized them he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them i don't have to say it because many of us know that there are family members or even friends, past friends or, or relationships that are broken up, that, that that's where it is for us, right? That, that's where it stops. It, it stops with treating like, like a stranger and speaking roughly to them. And here's the thing about the Bible. It never tells us to minimize stuff or ignore our past hurts, pains, and wounds. See, God doesn't tell us to just get over it or just run away from it, but he helps us to face the hurts and the pains and find growth and healing through them. 
See, but this is, this is what God is doing in Joseph's life. Like, why is all of this happening? Why has he gotten to this place where he's in this position of power, yet his brothers are coming to them at this time? Because God is at work. And God is doing surgery on Joseph and his family. But here's the thing about God. God is a loving surgeon. He does it for our good. Psalm 103, 2 through 4 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Do you remember throughout the whole story of Joseph what he describes his life like? He just felt like he was in the pit. Right, when, he, when he gets thrown into the pit by his brothers and then he gets thrown into prison, which he describes as the pit. And God has done all of these things into his life up to this point, but there's these relationships that are still out there that if he were to think about it, still felt like the pit. It was broken, it was hurting. But God is one who redeems your life from the pit. He pulls us out. See, God is redeeming the life of Joseph here and his brothers, and it's starting with facing his past. And as scary as it is, God brings him face to face with his past. The second point is this, the pain. The pain. Look at 42, uh, verse 9. It says, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. See, what was it that pushed his brothers to the edge? What, what, what was it that brought the, the, the stuff in his family to the surface? The tipping point was the dream. Do you remember that? We talked about how the dream just brought all of those things to the surface, but that dream was from God and God was bringing it about in their lives. And Look back at the beginning of verse 9. As he looked at his brothers, he remembered the dreams, and Joseph remembered the dreams. Do you see what it doesn't say? It doesn't say he remembered them throwing him in that pit. You remember what it doesn't say? He, he remembered all of those terrible things that they said about him. Do you, do you see what it doesn't say? It doesn't say he remembered the abuse and the agony that he felt. No, he remembered the dream. He remembered the dream. And do you know what his brothers remembered? Because it gets there later in verse 21 of, of um, chapter 42. It says this, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the distress, affliction, anguish, pain, right? The distress, that word for distress is the same one in Isaiah 63, 9, in which it talks about Jesus and the distress of his own soul. As Jesus goes to the cross, like the distress, the pain. When he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. What did the brothers remember? 
They remembered throwing him in the pit. They remembered that day when they betrayed their brother. Joseph remembers the dream. His brothers remember the pit. And so what does Joseph do? Verse nine, he says this to them. He says, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. What he does is he starts to ask hard questions and get to the bottom of who they are. Why? He's starting the painful process of healing. He's starting the painful process of healing. He's using his power and his authority now. Like God lifted him into this position. He's using that not to break a relationship, but to heal one. Not to cause more hurt and pain, but to help in the process of healing. But it starts by coming face to face with this question. Okay, let's, let's get to the bottom of who they are. You see, this is important because in many ways our, our generation doesn't get this. Joseph is not being vengeful. He's vetting. Does that make sense? He's examining his brothers. Right, like when, when we, you know, for our generation right now, uh, we, we, it's hard for us, right? We don't get that. Like there's hard things you gotta go through in life, there's hard questions you gotta answer, all of those types of things, right? We're, we're in the process even right now as we're coming together as churches, like we gotta answer some hard questions. But we don't run away from those questions, right? We, we do the vetting, we ask the right questions, we do the right things to help in the process of helping something come together And so now Joseph is coming with his brothers and he's starting to ask hard questions. Okay, what'd you come here for? Are you just spies? Have you come to see the nakedness of the land? What he's asking is this. Are you coming to take advantage of us? Is that what your heart is? Is that what you're here for? Why would he ask that? Because he's seen it happen before. It already happened to him, right? He'd already been taken advantage of and thrown into a pit and sent off into slavery in Egypt. So he's questioning them to see if they've changed. You know, I got three kids, and um, they get into some mischievous stuff, okay? I see them, like, looking around. My wife sent me pictures this morning of my son, like, looking in drawers. He's trying to find his iPod. I hide it, right? I hide that thing. I'm like, nope, you're not getting it. You're not going to find it, buddy. Why? Because I want to help him to understand that there's some boundaries you got to have, right? But here's what happens. Many times, like, especially my daughter, Ava, who's the youngest, she comes in the morning and, and she'll just, like, do something and we'll ask her a question about something that she did. We'll say, hey, you need to say sorry for this. No, I'm not going to say sorry. And she runs to her room and she gets out of there as quick as she can because she doesn't want to face the reality of the pain that she has to experience, right? She wants to run as far as she can to her room and she doesn't want to say sorry to her sister. And then later, she's like, oh yeah, I should have said sorry to my sister, right? But, but that, this is the thing. And so asking questions, it's not, well, you're mean for doing that. No, it's I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. And so now as Joseph is starting to ask questions and he's going to do this, he's going to start questioning them. He's going to put them through some hardship. They're going to get thrown into prison. He's going to put money back in their bags to see if their integrity is there and their character is there to actually say, hey, you, got, you didn't take the money for the food that you gave us. And they're going to have to sacrifice. 
As they go back to their land, one brother is going to be in prison and then they're going to have to exchange another brother and they, really they have to bring back Benjamin, who again is the one that Jacob is just holding on to and trying to protect so badly. Like, no, you're not going to send Benjamin out there, but they said, no, you're going to, next time you come back, Joseph says, you've got to bring Benjamin with you. Commentator Derek Kidner explains it well when he says, Joseph's strategy, already brilliantly successful in creating the situations and tensions he required, now produces its masterstroke. The sudden threat to Benjamin was a thrust to the heart. In a moment, the brothers stood revealed. When the steward uh, converted their challenge in 44.9 into a chance of freedom at Benjamin's expense, all the conditions were present for another betrayal at a far more compelling price, their liberty. Do you understand what's happening here? Joseph has allowed this situation to get to this place where they could have just sacrificed Benjamin for their own safety and freedom. Before, all it cost them was to be rid of Joseph and to get some 20 shekels, right? This time it's gonna cost their brother, and they can be free. Are they going to do it? You see, the, the brothers used pain to get rid of Joseph. Joseph is using pain to test his brothers. See, and in, in, in what this is, is, this isn't just justice, right? Because, but, because what could have happened is his brothers could have came in front of him and they could have said this very thing, and he could have looked them in the face and said, straight to prison. I know who you are. You're liars. Straight to prison. He could have done that. But he doesn't. And then on the other side, it's not just forgiveness. It's not, hey, you just come up to me, and then you, you say all these things, and it's, oh, yeah, you're my brothers. I forgive you. I forgive you. No big deal. You threw me into prison, but I'm doing pretty good now, right? Like, it's not like sweeping things under the rug, like, no. But he's letting them wrestle in here through the pain of it all, seeing that God is working through it to meet his brothers and his family with grace and truth, right? The truth that, yes, they're guilty, but yet the freedom and the kindness and the grace that they're forgiven. But, but, but there has to be the pain that they have to go through. God does this with us. Isaiah 48, 10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Right? For many of us as Christians, we run when times get hard and get difficult. Friends, this isn't just your life is up and to the right as you follow Christ, but it's ups and downs and valleys and highs and lows and pains that you're going to feel even in your relational world, probably more so in your relational world than anything else. But that God could use that to refine you and make you into what he desires for your life. See, through God, there's purpose in the pain there's purpose in the pain. And so lastly, the purpose. Well, let's look at verses 45, 4 through 9. 
It says this, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it's not you who sent me here, but God. He has made a fa- a father, me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. And so what is the purpose of it all? What's, what's the purpose of the dream that God sent years and years before? What was it? Verse five said this, you sold me, God sent me. You sold me, God sent me. Derek Kidner says this is one of the classic statements of providential control. Could you see your life like that? Could I see my life like that? This is a much bigger story than what I can see on the surface of things. That even through the difficulties, even through the pains of life, even through the relational stuff that happens, that you, to, for him to say, God s- sent me even though you sold me. Do you see it? He says, verse five and seven, uh, God sent me before you to preserve life. There's a purpose there. It's a lot bigger than my, my life. It's what about me. Verse eight, so it was not you who sold me here, but God. Verse eight, nine, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Right, so the purpose was that the position God placed in him wasn't for himself. It was for the glory of God. It was for God. Joseph's purpose is defined by God, not by his brother's, or any man. And let me say, this is a hang-up that many of us get into. We think that the place that we're in in life is because of this person or this person, and we just hold this bitterness inside. Don't we? We just hold this thing inside of us that we, it's just their fault. It was them but that God gets Joseph to this place where he says, you know what, you sold me. God sent me. That is purpose. And so just some takeaways to help us to apply this because this is really important for us today. How does God heal our relationships with others? Well, it's, there's a lot here, but I'm gonna give you some quick takeaways. First, it's when we understand that We all have wounds. We all have wounds. Right, like throughout life, none of us are gonna come away unscathed by relational wounds that 
we have throughout life. You know, if we were to take Jacob, for example, right? Jacob grew up in a family where he was not the favorite, where he was looked down upon, where he was forgotten. And so you take that type of kid and then they become a dad. And now Jacob is a father. And what we see is that the past hurts and pains that he had, he just takes them right along into this new family that is created, that God has created in his life. And so what happens is Jacob, like many of us, could have said, well, that's just who I am. Or you don't understand my upbringing. Or you don't understand how hard it was when I grew up. Or, or that's just how everybody did it. The thing with Joseph is his, the love of his life, Rachel, passes away. And so he's by himself. Right? And, and so as you see this anger, this harshness in the way that he talks to his kids... We see that he's just kind of taking that into his life and, and just said, okay, that's, that's just who I am. But whether he understood it or not, he had wounds that weren't dealt with. That weren't dealt with. And it just, do you see that sin has a pattern and an effect? Yes, we are forgiven of our sins. But that doesn't give us a right to sin against others. And so, again, this is still something that God had to deal with. B.J. Foster from the website All Pro Dad wrote an article entitled Hurt People, Hurt People. Here's what he said. Explore old wounds. Don't deny they are there. If you get angry when talking about something from the past or someone just that, that hurts you, that is a good indicator that there is a significant wound that has not been healed. Admit it. Unpack all of it. Figure out why it happened. Think about its significance and why it cut so deep. Unhealed wounds have a way of creating a distorted lens through which we view the world. Friends, family, and particularly ourselves. Are the things you believe about yourself and, and others grounded in unbiased truth? Or is your view distorted? Have these wounds created insecurities in you that are not founded in truth? Have these wounds caused you to keep people at a distance? Ask questions. Here's just the permission that maybe some of you have never had. It's okay to say I've been hurt. It's okay to say that there's wounds in my life. Because then we'll be able to come to God and say, God, can you heal those? But God, you're the only one who can do that in my life. I need you, right? As God sends Joseph, he starts to heal Joseph through the pains and the, the trials that he goes through. But that's a reality for many of us. And so, so how do we see Joseph unpack it all? Well, Joseph later in Genesis 50, 19 through 20, this is very practical. He actually shares the secret of his healing. It's very practical for us because what happens is his brothers come to him at the end of the story Dad dies, and they're still afraid. 
So they come to Joseph and they say to him, hey, Joseph, um, before dad died, he actually wrote this thing that you need to be nice to us. You know, it's just like, just one of his last things that he wrote. And so make sure that, that you do that. And what it says is that it grieved Joseph so deeply. It grieved him. And so what it says in, in verses 19 through 21, it says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. There's a lot going on. And I know that many of you have gone through very hard things. But I encourage you to talk to somebody, to pray with somebody, to, to, to find healing that only Jesus Christ can offer. Because here's what he says. He first says this. The answer is this. I'm not God. He says in verse 19, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? No. I'm not God. We live in a culture right now that there's a lot of hurt people. But what, what is happening is we are confusing what I would call vengeance with justice. Right? Vengeance with justice. I want to take judgment into my own hands. I want to make things right my own way. I want them to pay for what they did. But Joseph looks and says, am I in the place of God? Right? He knows his brothers are going to have to stand before God. He knows that people in his life are going to have to stand before God because he's going to have to stand before God. We're all going to have to stand before God. Romans 12, 9 says this, do not take revenge, my dear brothers, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. One of the biggest things that we need to remember is this. You and I, we are not God. There's only one God, and he's our creator. And he's the only one who can bring a righteous judgment that we can't. But we have to process this, and Joseph helps us with that. Second is this, people can't ultimately destroy my life. People can't ultimately destroy my life. Look at what Joseph said in verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. We can look at people and say, that person's gonna destroy my life. That person destroyed my life, this, this, and this. But here's the thing. When Joseph comes down to it, he says this. He says, you don't have the power to destroy my life. God is above you. So what do you do when you feel like you're in situations where people or situations are destroying your life? Here's what you do. Colossians 3, 4, it says this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears... When there's something that takes the place of Christ, 
and you say, this is what my life is, this is what's destroying my life, maybe that's an idol that you're placing up above God. And you're looking at that and saying, oh, I need that to fulfill my life more than I need God. And so you need to look at whatever that thing is, and you need to look it in the face and say, you're not my life. My life is Christ. My life is hidden with him. You're not my life. You don't control me. Right? Because when Joseph looked at God, he says this, God intended it for good. He could actually bring good out of bad. Many times what we do is we take Romans 8, 28, and we say, you know, God is working all things together for good of those who love him according to his purposes and, and his will and all those things. And we take that and we, we think that everything's gonna be great. Life's just gonna be perfect and it's gonna happen all in this perfectly unfolded way. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. But you know this beautiful promise in the next verse, it says that God is gonna conform you to his image. He's gonna make you more like Jesus. And it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult, but he can do it. He can work. And lastly, it's this. Forgiveness is more powerful than vengeance. See verse 21? He says this, I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and spoke kindly to them. He spoke kindly to them. You'd have to imagine that these probably are a band of brothers who've been speaking roughly to one another their whole lives. They spoke that way to Joseph because they, their father spoke to them harshly. And so they just kind of carry that around. But now we see Joseph who is a changed man by the grace of God. And he speaks to them kindly. And he says, I'll take care of you. See, here's what we know. Forgiveness is more powerful than vengeance. God is at work. Let me bring this to reality. There may be someone that you're gonna see around the table this holiday season. There might be somebody in this room. And God is saying, would you forgive? Would you be willing to say I'm sorry? Maybe you've been sinned against or you've been harboring it in your heart and God wants you to use it to help you to grow. God wants to heal us. Come receive prayer. Go to a brother and sister. Bring it to the Lord together. Forgiveness is more powerful than vengeance. Romans 2, 4 says this, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What is it that brought us to a place where we say, God, you're God and I'm not? His kindness his immense kindness. You know, when I read the story or of Joseph, you know, many times what, what happens is this. I, um, I want to think that I'm Joseph, right? I want to put myself in the place of Joseph, and I want to think I, I'm like Joseph. But if I'm honest and you're honest, many times that we're not Joseph. We're the brothers. We're the brothers. You know, there's only one true, better Joseph. W.A. Criswell, he said this. He says, when I read the story of Joseph, I had that same spirit of deepening love for God, for what he has done for me, as I did, or as I do, as when I read the story of the Lord. When he reads that story, he sees Jesus. When you see this story today, 
Do you see Jesus? See, Joseph recognized that through his brothers, though they intended evil, God had a plan for good to save people. Likewise, though those who crucified Jesus intended it for evil, God's plan was to sacrifice his son for the good of the world. Through Jesus' death on the cross, God again is saving a remnant of people just like he did during the time of Joseph. You see that Jesus is the better Joseph and he's the one that came to us. We were the ones that threw him in the pit. But he didn't hold a grudge against us and say, forget you, I'm not going to that cross. But it says in the book of Hebrews that with joy he goes to the cross for you and me. And when you see Jesus not begrudgingly but with joy dying for his brothers and sisters for the glory of God, you will see the greatest reconciliation that's ever happened in this world. Because before any person that you need to be reconciled with, you need to be reconciled with the creator. And when you see him doing that for you and you know that you are reconciled to the creator, to God, then he will teach you what it means to reconcile with others. He will teach you what it means to truly be healed in your relationships. Those relationships, we all need grace, friends. We all need it. And it comes from above. It comes from him. So today, will you let that hit your heart? Will you let God change your heart in that? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this story. It's raw. It, it pushes us to a place where many times we don't want to go. We don't want to ask these questions. We want to we distance ourselves from it personally. God, I pray that you bring us very close to help us to see how this meets us today and how it's you, Lord, who heals us from the inside out. May we truly know what it means to be healed by what Christ has done for us on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.